Hello, a quick interruption before we get started with today's show. I just relaunched six week keto weight loss. This is my group coaching program that I open up for registration about twice a year, where I take you through live coaching calls, a bunch of lessons and videos and teach you how to lose weight from a holistic functional perspective. We're talking about hormones, we're talking about liver health and gut health, and how these things can stand in your way from losing weight. It's six weeks. It comes with lessons, videos, PDFs, quizzes. I put together your personalized macros for you and so much more. You can find out more information and reserve your seat by going to healthfulpursuit.com slash six week. Again, that's healthfulpursuit.com slash six week. That's the number six and the word week, W-E-E-K. I hope to see you over there and we will get started September 13th. Okay, on to the show. Hello, this is episode 331. And today we're chatting about fasting and workouts, blood sugar on keto, fat adaption and carb ups, hormones and hysterectomies, glucose regulation, carb ups and metabolism, uh, reverse T3, hair loss, measuring ketosis, when you can't lose weight and what to do, my personal favorite things. And that's legit all we're talking about today. I'm really excited to get into it. If you have questions about today's content, you can go to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and ask me. You can catch up on previous podcast episodes and notes from today's show by going to ketodietpodcast.com. Okay, let's do this thing. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel, and you're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've put together a free 21-page guide on achieving weight loss on your keto diet if nothing is working as a little thank you for being here today. Grab your free guide at ketoforwomen.com to get the steps you need to overcome the hurdles standing in your way. Today is a Q&A episode. I love when I get to do these. I'm recording this in our boat in our home and there's no fan because I had the fan running and I tried to record this and it was so loud and distracting. So I'm legit in a box of heat sweating. So I hope the audio sounds really good. We're going to try to get through these questions before I pass out of heat exhaustion. Now I got my electrolytes beside me. I should be okay. So our first question here is from Sarah. I've been following you for years. You mentioned you were getting more into fasting. I have a question about something in your Keto for Women book. You said that you never recommend a fasting post-workout and eat within 45 minutes. With some of the stuff coming out around fasting, is it still a big no-no post-workout? Can you have a RFL as a meal? I recently bought Mark Sisson's book, he has a whole section on fasting post, probably more for men. You are the queen of low carb, high fat for women though. Oh, Sarah, thanks. Okay. There are a couple caveats to all of this. And one is if you know that your hormones are great, you have a great cycle, your adrenals are good. When you work out, you feel energized and fantastic. You're not lagging. You're building muscle. Well, everything's kind of like great in your world. I see no issue with fasting, fasting before a workout, 
fasting after a workout. I totally believe that in the right setup, that works great. And by setup, I mean in a healthy body that feels awesome. I've never had a perfectly healthy body (laughs) as specifically as it relates to hormones. The women that I work with generally don't either when it relates to hormones. These are women who, for example, they work out, they're exhausted, they have to have a nap after. Before their workout, they get hungry or during their workout, they can work out for 12 weeks, 18 weeks, 36 weeks with a trainer and they're not gaining any muscle. They sleep throughout the day. So these are signs that your adrenals are not functioning properly. They're craving a lot of salt. Okay, so if that is you, I wouldn't recommend adding fasting to your workout protocol. That's not going to help. On the flip side, if you are somebody with PCOS or your doctors told you that you have high testosterone, it can be helpful to fast before your workout. Now, I've seen people, I've seen women specifically fast after a workout and feel really great. In my clinical experience and just working with my clients one-on-one and seeing how my personal body responds in our six-week keto weight loss program, asking our students like how they respond to working out and things. I don't generally see a woman respond well to post-workout fasting. Now it does depend on the workout, but generally speaking, if you're lifting, trying to gain muscle, then generally having something after you work out is a helpful thing, right? Because muscles are starving specifically for glucose. So generally after a heavy lift, what I have done in the past and what I recommend my clients to do when they're lifting heavy things is to post-workout about 30-ish minutes, 45 minutes max after having a little bit of carbohydrates. And that helps puff up the muscles and give them the glucose that they require. Now, is that required? No, but it really, really depends. What I always recommend when you're hearing these different recommendations, Mark Sisson is saying this, Leanne Vogel saying this, this person saying this other thing, try it out. See how it works for you. Give yourself a week in each protocol, maybe even two weeks. Try out Mark Sisson's approach. See how you feel. Monitor yourself. Now, what will change is where you're at in your cycle. We know that the further you go along in your cycle, okay, cycle days, day one is the first day of your period. Okay, so when you bleed, that first day is day one. As you go throughout your cycle, your body is going to change with what it needs in regards to workouts. So by the time you get to the end of your cycle, okay, you're holding a lot of water weight. Your progesterone has increased. Okay, you're likelihood of getting injured is lowered. And so it's really important to understand how this relates to your cycle. So as you are changing your protocols, as you're trying different things, if you do have a pretty regular cycle and you know that at the beginning of the cycle, you do better with a certain workout than in the end of your cycle, you might want to do a full month on people's protocols, in fact, and just understand what you respond best to. In fact, in a couple of episodes, episode 334, my friend Jenny Hulbert is coming on the show to chat about sweating in sync with your menstrual cycle. So we're going to be talking about the best time to incorporate different workouts, different nutrition protocols throughout your cycle. I would highly recommend if you're interested in movement to mark off September 15th in your calendar. That's a Wednesday, episode 334. We're going to be talking about 
all of this. But I think the big thing here with fasting, workouts, women, all those protocols is that your day two on your cycle is going to look very different than your day 18. I can tell you day two of my cycle, I have zero energy, like no energy. I just want to sit around like a little sloth. And that usually lasts until day three. And then I can start to feel my energy building by day 18. I am on fire, right? So things start to increase, increase, and then decrease. And so your protocols at that different times of your cycle are going to be different. Now, can you have a rocket fuel latte versus a meal post-workout? I wouldn't personally recommend it. If anything, I would do a rocket fuel latte before a workout. I would make sure that that rocket fuel latte has caffeine, assuming your adrenals are okay. I would lower the fat just a little bit and add a touch more carbohydrates. What could be really helpful is if you do your rocket fuel latte with MCT oil powder, it has acacia fiber in it, which has carbohydrates, and that can be helpful for getting a little bit more carbohydrates in there. So that would be my recommendation, but I wouldn't necessarily say to have a rocket fuel latte post-workout. I don't really see the benefit of having a lot of fat post-workout. I'm more of a a little bit of carbs, a lot of protein post-workout would be my approach. So I hope that that was helpful, Sarah, and be sure to mark your calendar for Wednesday, September 15th, episode 334, because we're going to be going through this in so much more detail. So I hope you enjoy that episode. Okay. Next question is from Annis. I hope I said your name right. Hi, my name is Agnes. I started listening to your podcast recently and I'm loving it. Yay. Thanks, Agnes. I have been doing keto for eight weeks, but I'm liking it so far. I realized lately that after a meal, I have a very intense blood sugar spike. I get jittery, anxious, and my heart is racing. Like I ate a giant candy bar. My meals are very low carb. I'm less than 20 grams per day and meals are typically salad with chicken or fish and some balsamic dressing. I can't find any info on the subject related to keto. Thank you. Okay, Agnes, a couple of thoughts as I'm reading your question. One is, could it be an allergy? Chicken, fish, balsamic dressing. Is this what you're eating every day, all day? Is there any variety? It could be that something that you're eating consistently, you are allergic to, and that can cause a glucose spike because of cortisol increases our glucose. Cortisol is released in the case of stress, which could be more so a food sensitivity rather than an allergy. I misspoke there. Um, so it could be a food sensitivity. Another thing is and really interesting. We're actually going to be talking about this further in detail. I've been planning out the podcast for the rest of the year episode in December. I'm going to have my friend Casey on the show to talk about about certain foods that people think are totally fine with glucose, but studies are showing that, for example, sweet potato. I can't tell you how many people I've talked with a CGM and they're like, I really thought sweet potato was going to be better than a white potato. And like so many more people are able to handle a white potato over a sweet potato. Just simple things like that where you think it's fine, but your body just reacts improperly to this. The balsamic dressing that you're having, does it use a sweetener? If you use a xylo tall, any of the quote unquote keto friendly sweeteners can still spike your glucose. So those would be my two is one, a food sensitivity, not allergy. Sorry, I misspoke there. And then the second one would be that you're reacting to a specific food because you're just 
sensitive to the glycemic reaction, not necessarily a food sensitivity, which causes a cortisol spike, which causes your glucose to increase, but just that your glucose is being stimulated by this very thing. And if you have concerns over this, you might want to chat with your doctor about asking them to run your HbA1c, your glucose and your insulin, specifically the insulin could be helpful there to answering some questions for you. I know that when I eat pretty low carb, less than 20 grams per day, I get very, very tired after my meals and my glucose actually tanks. And so some people, even when your glucose is tanking, you can start to get jittery. So it could be that your glucose is actually decreasing. So if you want to ask your doctor for those tests, you could also see if your doctor can prescribe a CGM for you. Or you can go to the pharmacy and pick up a glucometer and test your glucose to see like what's actually happening here. And good luck. Keto flu, impossible fasting symptoms that stop you mid-fast, cravings at any hour of the day or feeling off after a sweaty workout. These are some of the signs that you're low in electrolytes. When I first started keto, I made all of the mistakes. One of the biggest ones was not supplementing with electrolytes. And still, seven years into keto, I often forget how essential electrolytes are. Honestly, it's easy to forget to take electrolytes because, well, a lot of them don't taste very good or work very well. Enter Element, the most delicious, well-balanced electrolyte powder I've personally tried, like ever. Add to water and enjoy any time of day. These electrolytes are salty, as they should be, quenching your thirst and hitting the spot. And the best part, when you head to drinklmnt.com slash KDP, you'll receive a free Element sample pack. You only pay $5 for shipping. The sample pack includes eight packets of Element. That includes two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two raw unflavored. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash KDP for your free sample pack. I love Element and I really think you're going to too. Again, that's drinkelement.com forward slash KDP to get your free sample pack. And if you don't love it, they will refund your $5. No questions asked. Okay, next question is from Anna. I am one and a half years into keto. I know it took me about three to four weeks to become fat adapted. There are times when I have more carbs for a holiday meal or birthday, and I know I'm kicked out of ketosis. But does that also mean you're not fat adapted anymore if you get right back to eating a keto lifestyle? Also, I will go three to four weeks with perfect eating and have an off weekend. Do you feel it's hard on your body to switch between the two, fat burning, sugar burning? Oh, Anna, this is such a good question and not an exact science and is so completely individual for each person. Now, you've been eating keto for one and a half years, so your body is pretty darn fat adapted. So I like to think of this and if you've ever joined me for an event in person in one of my book tours, you remember that I used to do this little thing where I would jump in between fat burning and glucose burning back and forth and back and forth. So when we first start our ketogenic diet, imagine you're just like this brick sitting on a wall and get over there. Oh, it's hard to move the brick and you're moving and moving and it is challenging those first three to four weeks. I think you remember just how exhausted you may have felt jittery. I know that I had heart palpitations. I wasn't having enough electrolytes. My body really didn't like that process. And it was hard those first three to four weeks. But 
if you have my program, the keto beginning, I talk about this. I can't remember what day it was because we're talking like 2014 when this happened. But all of a sudden, I could feel the switch. I could feel the adjustment and I had so much energy and it was just fabulous. And so that was that moment of becoming fat adapted. Now, if I were to have carbs that day, Mm, I think I would, you know, that shoots and ladders game, you know, there's that shoot that takes you back to almost square one. That's kind of what eating carbs for that first month, the first couple weeks there, what that will do is like, okay, you got to do some work again. And now the further you get along in your keto journey, a year and a half, your body, that brick that you move, that's really hard. It's now light as a feather and it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth really easily. So this is metabolic flexibility. And this is really what we're shooting for guys. If you follow me on Instagram at Leanne Vogel recently, around July, I shared with you guys that I'm no longer following a strict keto protocol. As you know, I started keto in 2014. I set out with a goal, a very set list of goals. I wanted to get my period back. I wanted to lose hormone weight gain. I wanted to help my ADHD. And I had this whole list. And over the course of, what is it, seven years, I was able to accomplish all those things. And I kind of got to the place in early 2021, where I was like, I don't feel like I need to be eating this way anymore. And so by wearing my CGM, my continuous glucose monitor, and really understanding how my body is reacting to carbohydrates, how my hormones are responding to that, how my body's responding to that, my energy, my brain, all of these components, I realized that I don't need to be as strict because I've done the things. Okay, so as you become more and more and more fat adapted, as you become more metabolically flexible, you can bounce between both. And there may come a point where you don't need as much fat as little carbohydrates to stay metabolically healthy. Now, if you're going, you know, you're that feather and you're bouncing back and forth and back and forth. Now, if you eat carbs consistently, I would say more than 200 grams of carbs consistently every day for a couple of months, you're probably going to be back to that brick moving across the wall, okay, really heavy and have to do this process pretty much all over again. But if you are adding in carbohydrates here and there, if you follow me on Instagram, I've been trying to be better at posting my meals and showing you guys like how I'm eating. And there are days where I don't have a lot of carbs. And there are days where I have more carbs. There's a meal where I have more carbs or a couple meals where I don't. And so that process, that adaptation after seven years of eating keto, I feel pretty confident that I'm still fat adapted. I'm still able to regulate my glucose. I mean, far better than I could before my ketogenic diet where I was hypoglycemic and having a lot of issues there. So I really do see in myself and my clients reading the literature online that we can have that metabolic flexibility and bounce back and forth. Again, it's very unique for each individual and where you're coming from and what your goals are. So I hope that that was helpful, Anna. Next question is from Leah. Hi, Leanne. I love your podcast and all three of your books. Yay. I would love some specifics on keto for women who are not yet to menopause. 
but have had hysterectomies and have their ovaries. I know the importance of hormone regulation. I also have Hashimoto's, but I'm confused on when to do carb ups since I don't have a cycle to go by. Okay, Leah. So you had a hysterectomy, you still have your ovaries. So let's kind of go through the basics of what happens as we approach menopause for all women who have ovaries. Okay. So this includes you, Leah. When we are in our 20s and 30s, our ovaries are creating primarily our sex hormones. Okay. So they are the sex hormone masters of the body. As we reach our late 30s, early 40s, our adrenals start to take some of that process and they start doing it as opposed to our ovaries. Okay. So by the time we have achieved menopause, okay, we have not had a cycle in 12 months. Our doctor has said, congratulations, you're in menopause. Our adrenals are making most of of our sex hormones. So though this wasn't your question, I really want to preface here. This is why adrenal health is so important for women, because I cannot tell you how many times I've met with a woman who is experiencing perimenopause and we pull a Dutch panel, we go through her hormones and oh dear, <laughs> her adrenals are suffering and she's having the worst menopausal symptoms because her adrenals are not in a good place. So guys, or ladies, I should say, it is so important to make sure that our adrenal health is top notch, that we are supporting our adrenals, that we're not pushing too hard, that we understand our adrenals. Okay, this is why I truly feel like the top tests, I mean, there's three top tests that I feel like every single woman should have and understand and at least pull once a year. It's a full blood chemistry, like full labs, okay, a full Dutch, like a Dutch complete, ideally a Dutch complete. If you can't do a Dutch complete, at least a Dutch adrenal so you can understand your adrenals and a GI map to really understand what's happening with your GI, especially for you, Leah, because you mentioned that you have Hashimoto's and a lot of the autoimmune stuff comes from the gut. So it's really, really important to understand your microbiota so that you can support your Hashimoto's, support your hormones through proper gut health. Because if we have inflammation in the gut, that's throwing off the entire system. So there is a, you've heard of the HPA access. That's the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenals. Super important for this, as is the oat axis. And this axis is your ovaries, your adrenals, and your thyroid. And so for you, understanding that as you're approaching your experience with menopause, your adrenals are super important. Your ovaries are starting to give more power over to the adrenals. Your thyroid needs a lot of love. Okay, so how do you know if this axis is imbalanced? Your doctor may have diagnosed you rather with adrenal fatigue. We like to call it dysfunction. Estrogen dominance, hypothyroidism, hormone imbalance symptoms can include insomnia, fatigue, chronic fatigue, joint pain, exercise intolerance, brain fog, sugar intolerance, diabetes, dry skin, feeling cold, slow metabolism, inability to lose weight, PMS, endometriosis, irregular menstrual cycles, fibrocystic breast tissue, anxiety, depression, accumulation of fat at the waistline. I mean, 
that's a lot, right? So to make sure that this axis is incredibly healthy, I really do feel and have seen in my practice that it really begins in the gut and truly understanding uh, your blood chemistry and where you can support yourself. So as it relates to your question, Leah, I kind of got on my soapbox there for a bit. You have your ovaries, important to support them because you don't know where you're at in a cycle. Your hormones are still being pumped out. You need to follow the moon. That's the easiest way to do it. So look up online the moon calendar on a full moon. You can pretend that that is when you're ovulating. On the new moon, you can pretend that's day one of your cycle when you would bleed. And that's how you follow some of the hormone protocols. If you are a student of my six-week keto weight loss program, you can find out more by going to healthfulpursuit.com slash six week. That's the number six and then week, W-E-E-K. We talk about all of this as it relates to cycling your keto protocol, your carbohydrates, your workouts, different types of foods that you use, everything. Cycling basically your whole life around your cycle. And guys, like this is just so empowering as somebody who has only had her cycle back, we're talking six years, to truly understand that my day three is when I'm exhausted to when my day 15, 16 is when I'm completely on fire. My day 10, you know, when I'm working out, I know that I can really, really push it. And when I get to day 27, I don't need to be frustrated when I'm just so darn exhausted. Having those tools and abilities with me all the time is just so helpful so that I can have grace for myself and for the entire process is just so incredibly empowering and freeing. So to answer your question, yes, you want to use the moon, look up the moon cycles, and then the full moon will be your quote unquote ovulation. And the new moon will be your quote unquote beginning of your cycle. So when you're following the protocols that I share in six week keto weight loss, and you can just follow the moon cycles. Okay. Next question is from Deborah on day five of CGM been doing a lot of reading and testing of certain foods and just want to make sure that I have this correct. If I eat a handful of grapes and my glucose spikes, a sign of good metabolic health would be for the spike to come down quickly because my cells are taking in the glucose and removing it from the bloodstream. If my cells were gummed up with toxins, the glucose would stay in the blood longer and have a more gradual fall. Is this right? Awesome question, Deborah. Okay, it's so great that you have a CGM. If people don't know what a CGM is, I will include a link in the description of today's episode in the podcast notes, which you can find at ketodietpodcast.com. Just look for episode 331 on that page. Or if you're listening to this on YouTube, you can look down below. If you're listening to this on a podcast player, the links should be in the podcast player. All players are different. Some players don't let me put links in there. It's all just all over the place. So you can check that out. So if you've been wearing a CGM, having these sorts of practices is really helpful. One tip I'll give you though, is like, if you're just eating straight up carbohydrates by themselves, you're probably going to experience a glucose spike because it's sugar. I mean, in the ideal situation, if you're having a handful of grapes, what you want to happen, let's back up. 
What you want to happen with all food, no matter what it is, is you want to have steady glucose. For you, this may mean, and generally this means, it's not so much a mountain, like where you go up and then down really quick. It's more like a nice hill. Okay, so you're increasing and then decreasing nicely and going back to the place that you were two hours before. Okay. So whatever your level is at when you start eating. Okay. So say it's at 70. Okay. And then you start eating it goes up blah, 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 to 90 and then back down. You ideally want to be back to 70 after two hours from eating that meal. Now, if you're at 55, okay, you know that you spiked up and then you started decreasing. Okay. If you are at 90 and you consistently sit at 90, we have an issue there. So, so there can be a lot of reasons why this reaction takes place. Okay. You could have an issue with insulin. You could have an issue with the food itself. You could have a food sensitivity, which we talked about earlier. You could have adrenal dysfunction where your adrenals are pumping out that cortisol and they are just having a field day and your glucose is always increased. What I've seen recently is that if you have a bacterial infection, a virus, a parasite, your glucose is going to be higher. And so really understanding that there are so many reasons why your glucose can be increased beyond what food especially does is really helpful for understanding. What I really love about the CGM is that you get to know what your glucose is at all times, okay? So I really, really related my stress and overwhelm to an increase in glucose. I can tell exactly when I'm hungry based on my glucose. I start to feel a little bit of hunger and I look at my CGM. Sure enough, my glucose is dropped by five points. Isn't that fascinating? So if I can keep my glucose from dropping... Will I be able to extend my fast longer? Well, that's an interesting question. Like if I start to notice like I'm dropping a little bit or there's this pattern and I can follow it, what would happen if I went for a walk? Would that then level out my glucose and stop me from dropping and allow me to continue to fast? Like all those questions are really helpful. But again, to get back to your note here, Deborah, on I had a handful of grapes and if my glucose spikes, is that a sign of good metabolic health? If the spike comes down quickly, no, no. No, you don't want a whoop up and then whoop down. Okay, you don't want that. You want the rolling hill. Now, in relation to the grapes, sure, you could try out single foods. I know that on the Levels app, they have a bunch of different tests you can do, like what happens if you eat carrots? What happens if you have rice? What happens if you do this? And that's really fun for just seeing how you react to certain foods. But like what I find more important for me and for my overall process, I'm rarely, I'm never going to eat just grapes by themselves or just rice by themselves. I'm going to have the rice with chicken and coconut oil, or I'm going to have the grapes with a handful of nuts and maybe a meat stick. Okay. So the really important thing here and how I've used the CGM, how I use a CGM in my practice with my clients is using it so that you understand your proper food combinations and your proper macros. Okay. So for me, I understand, and this is really how I came off of a strict ketogenic protocol through healing my body with all of 
of the tools that I've shared over the last seven years. Okay. And then wearing a CGM, I was able to find the proper food combination for me so that I don't have to eat severely low carb forever and ever and ever. That's not what I set out to do. That's not what I wanted to do. I do enjoy carbs every now and again. So by finding the proper food combination for me, I realized that really there are some carbohydrates I cannot have. However, what's cool is like I can have an orange if I pair that with a protein bar. I can have an RX bar if I have that with some almond butter. Now, if I have that RX bar by myself, it's going to increase a little bit more than I'd want. But if I pair that with some almond butter, which is extra fat, I'm totally fine. Now, if I have that orange by myself, it is going to have a little bit of a spike. But if I have that orange with a protein bar, you can barely tell that I ate. And so that is the approach that I've taken with my CGM. And that's kind of the approach that I encourage others to because it's really fun to find out what foods you react to and all those things. And that can be really cool. But you're not going to be eating that way generally speaking, and to know what foods pair best with what is so important. Now we talk about this more in my six week keto weight loss program. And I really show you guys how to decode your glucose. And if you don't use a monitor, how to understand signs and symptoms that you're experiencing and relating that to your glucose. So that's something to check out if you're interested. Again, that's healthfulpursuit.com slash six week. That's the number six week. It is possible to enjoy wine on a ketogenic, low-carb diet, whether you're just trying to eat less sugar or you're doing the full keto thing. Dry Farm Wines is the first wine club to offer zero-sugar wines that don't affect your ketones, made all from small, sustainable farms. They're natural, organic, low in alcohol, zero additives, zero carbs. And they taste great. Now you can put together your own box of six or 12 and have them come every month, every three months, however you want to set it up of reds and whites and rosé or sparkling. And when you go to the URL dryfarmwines.com slash KDP, you're going to get an extra bottle of wine in your first order for a penny. Again, that's dryfarmwines.com slash KDP. P for your extra bottle of wine with your first order for a penny. Okay, next question is from Nikki. Hi, I just watched a podcast with Dr. Mindy. The interview that you did, episode 293, that talked about 511. I have heard that it takes four days to go back into a keto state if you eat a carb meal. That's not true. So I am confused as to the 511. And how it would work for weight loss. I have lost 20 kilograms on a modified keto program, including intermittent fasting, but looking into different variations. Okay, Nikki, your question is very similar to the one that we just talked about a little bit, but I want to talk in relation to Dr. Mindy's approach. So let's go through what the 511 is. Dr. Mindy on her website says the 511 is five days a week you eat low carbohydrate. I rec- she recommends less than 50 grams a day, one day a week you fast completely. You can do bone broth that day if you prefer. And one day a week, you have a feast day over 150 grams of carbohydrates that day. Oof. 
I just love that. And that's so fun. That's really what I recommend in my book, Fat Fueled. Also, if you want a template about how that looks ongoing and how to incorporate those carbs as a carb up is what I like to call them. So we talked about this a little bit earlier with the brick and the feather. As you become more and more fat adapted, you can take in those carbohydrates and be back into keto the next day. So wherever you read that it takes four days to get back into keto, maybe if that person is like sedentary. So here's what I used to do when I did more of a 511, although I didn't call it that, but that's kind of what I was doing. You know, you're keto for five days, then you have one day of complete fasting, that's 24 hours, and then one day of carb ups. Now, I'm not entirely sure that me personally, uh, now you can play around with this for yourself, would do well with fast a day and then feast a day and then go back to eating low carb. How I would do it, me personally, for my body is eat low carb for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then do a feast day on Friday, do a fast day on Saturday, and then go back to low carb on Sunday. Okay, so you are fasting after feasting. Now, that's just me personally. I find that after I've done a carb up, specifically when I was eating strict keto, that I wouldn't want to eat the next day. Okay, like I was not interested in eating the next day. My leptin levels were reset. My ghrelin was back in balance and you just couldn't get me to eat breakfast, lunch, maybe dinner. So play around with that. If you find that the 511 by doing a fast and then a feast just makes you completely haywire, try swapping them where you do the feast and then the fast. Okay, so we talked a little bit about how the body works, how we we are switching from that fat burning space to having a touch of carbohydrates and back so that you understand 150 grams of carbohydrates. Okay. That can be easily burnt off in a day. Okay. So what I used to do using kind of that 501 protocol, but switching the fasting and feasting, I would feast and then fast. And on that fasting day, I would do like a high intensity interval training session. Now, again, this goes back to our original question about your adrenals and working out fasted and all those things. Okay. And then that actually caused some muscle issues for me. It didn't work for me, but if your adrenals are good, you could do that. Or you could have your feasting day, your fasting day. And then on day one of eating low carb, you do a couple high intensity interval trainings that week. And that can get you super adapted and great. But I really don't see how it would take you four days if you're eating around 150 grams of carbs. When I was doing about 150 grams of carbs and tracking my ketones, I was back into ketosis the next day, sometimes even the next morning, depending on how my low carb week went. So I hope that was helpful. But I really want you to take away from this, guys, ladies, humans, is that each of these protocols that you hear people talk about, Mark Sisson, Dr. Mindy, myself, all of these people, okay, we're sharing based on literature, we're sharing based on our clients, what we're seeing out there in the wild. But it is so incredibly unique for every individual. The clients that I work with, none of them are on the same protocol, like none of them. None of them are on the same supplements. None of them are on the same eating plan, on the same macros, on the same anything. Okay, so it's really important 
important that you understand that as I'm talking 511 or do this, do that, it's probably going to be a little bit different for you. And that's why I encourage you to test it out, understand where you're at in your cycle, how that relates to things, and then move forward. Okay. Next question is from Camille. Hi, I need help. Recently, I did a lot of hormone testing. I've been keto for three years. My adrenals are way out of order. My reverse T3 is super high. Any help or suggestions? Everything I'm reading is saying that I need to add carbs, but I'm super scared. Thank you. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the thyroid and what's going on there. First, I to go back. It's so great. I didn't even plan this that all the questions would kind of feed into each other. This is so awesome when this happens. We were talking about how important it is to test your hormones. Now, I love doctors. I think that there are some really, really fabulous doctors out there. Without doctors, I wouldn't have the support that I need. Many of you can attest to this, that doctors are fabulous and there's such an amazing place for them in our world. The issue that I run into so much that infuriates me, that I cry about, that I pray about, that just gets me is doctors that tell their clients they're going to do something and they deceive them and they don't do the testing that the patient is asking for. The patient comes to them with a concern. They've read up about this. They understand their body. They're highly educated in all the things and they just want help and their doctor says no. One of these things, this is a hill that I am, a mountain that I am willing to completely die over is thyroid testing. Okay. If you go to your doctor and you say, I think there's an issue with my thyroid. I'm cold all the time or I'm hot all the time. I'm sweating all the time. I've gained all this weight. I don't understand what's going on. My appetite is all over the place. I'm depressed. I'm unhappy. I'm angry. I need my thyroid tested. And they say, yeah, let's test your TSH or hundred percent, sweetie. I totally understand. Let's test your thyroid. And you go and you look at the results and all they tested is TSH. Fire your doctor and find a new one. Okay. Like, or have a really honest conversation with them about how the thyroid works. Do your research, understand your body and go there prepared to advocate for your own health. So if they are unwilling to run the following panels, find another doctor or find a functional medicine practitioner or a coach like myself who can run these labs for you. And then you can go to your doctor with the full labs because I cannot tell you how many times I've put together full panels for clients. We've ran all these things. We've got all these numbers and I say, okay, you have all these things, go to your doctor. And the doctor reviews all the labs and they're like, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop. But they were not willing to run the labs themselves. Seriously, I just it frustrates me. So here are the ones that you need to ask your doctor to run. Okay. TSH, they'll totally run that. It's actually a pituitary marker, not a thyroid marker. Then you have thyroxine. This is T4 total. You have T3 total. You have T3 uptake, reverse T3, which is what Camille is asking about. Free T4, free T3, FTI. Okay. And then you have your antibodies, which it's even harder to get a doctor to run. You have your TPO antibody, your thyroglobulin antibodies, and then you have your anti-TG. Okay. So you have your anti-TPO and then your TG. You want 
all of these markers ran. So we're going to go through each one and we'll discuss like what the things are. So your TSH, like I said, pituitary marker, your T4 total just shows you whether or not you're hypothyroid or hyperthyroid. Your T3 total will give you some indication of hyper versus hypo. Your T3 uptake, this can show deficiencies, specifically nutrient related. Reverse T3. Now this is an interesting one. This generally speaking, if it's high, my mind goes toward blood sugar, your diet, stress specifically. So your verse T3, though it helps us understand your thyroid a little bit, it's more just like, how is your liver processing? How are you dealing with stress? What is happening with your diet? And how is your body accepting the diet that you're on? And what changes do you need to make? Now your free T4, this is your inactive thyroid hormone. I've had a lot of doctors run TSH. It's high. And then they're like, okay, well, let's run your free T4. This is your inactive thyroid hormone. So like, I care about this number, but it's not the best number at all. You really need the big picture. Your free T4 then is your active thyroid hormone. You really want this one to be in range. And then you have your FTI, again, hypothyroid versus hyper. And then your doctor can go through the antibodies and kind of review. So your thyroid is really important. And as it relates to your averse T3, what I would recommend chatting with your healthcare practitioner about is understanding your blood sugar, testing your glucose, your insulin, your HbA1c, likely also your HSCRP, your homocysteine to really get an idea of what's happening. But like, This really goes back to if your doctor is unwilling to run a full panel once a year, like a full panel once a year, I really feel like you need to find a new doctor. You need to find somebody that can run a panel for you so that you can understand something and then go to your doctor with it. Like you need this information. My mom is struggling with her health right now and I've been trying to help as much as I can. You know, I'm like 3000 miles away and we're just trying to coordinate things over like WhatsApp and Zoom and trying to do things. And I asked her for her most recent labs. And I mean, my mom's health is no good and she's really struggling. And if you're a praying human, I would love for prayers for my mom. They don't know what's wrong. They've diagnosed her with all sorts of things from Parkinson's to essential tremor. And it's just, it's horrendous. And when I said, mom, just like, send me your labs. I'm going to go through them bit by bit, fine tooth comb. We are going to figure this out. Not one doctor. She's seen over a dozen doctors over the last year. Not one of them was willing to run her basic panel. That is unacceptable to me. And so This goes way well beyond what I wanted to cover in today's episode, but really you need to be an advocate for your own health. Okay. Like get those thyroid markers tested. If you're unhappy, you're seeing the irreverse T3 is super high, but your doctor's not explaining like how that relates to the rest of your thyroid, how that relates to your detoxification, find somebody else. Okay. And do the research. Okay. Your body should be one of the most important things in your life as like a aside from your family. Okay. So it's really important that you understand what's going on with your body. Okay. Stepping off the soapbox. Next question is from Sam. I did keto in 2018, but it resulted in major hair loss for me. I already had vitamin D and a B12 deficiency. I'm thinking of returning to keto. What are some precautions and supplements I should start for overall health and not to have major hair loss? Okay, Sam, if you already know that you had a bunch of deficiencies going in to keto, 
with a B12 deficiency, with a vitamin D deficiency, I would definitely see if you have more deficiencies. You could always do a nutrient profile test. Those can be really helpful. Now, some people do like a mineral analysis of hair. I like to just do it in the blood as a personal preference and just really understand where your nutrients are at. That can be really helpful. Usually hair loss points to hormone issues. You definitely, definitely, definitely want to understand what's going on with your hormones. I'm going to give you a list of tests to run to help understand what's going on with your hair loss. Uh, complete blood count, that's your CBC, a thyroid panel. We already talked about that, including your anti-TPO and anti-thyroglobulin antibodies. You have your ANA and celiac panel might be helpful to test. That's the Cyrex Array 5 but your doctor might just want to do a celiac panel just to ensure that. That just helps you understand if you're screening for autoimmunity and that will change things because autoimmune can definitely itself lead to hair loss. Not in your case, like I'm trying to answer this for more than just one person, but if you find like you just have hair loss and nothing is helping, that understanding if you're sensitive to gluten can be good. But if you went on keto and then it got better after you were on keto, I wouldn't do that because you're probably not eating gluten. HSCRP is good. You also probably want the sedimentation rate. Uh, you have your total and free testosterone, including your DHT. The DHT will tell you kind of what your androgen preference is. You have your FSH, your LH, estrogen, and progesterone. You definitely want to know your sex hormone binding globulin, your DHEAS, complete metabolic panel. That's your CMP. Your fasting insulin, fasting glucose, and hemoglobin H1C, which we've talked about, or rather hemoglobin A1C and like a heavy metal test if you can ask them about that can be really helpful we talked about the nutrient testing heavy metals can definitely cause hair loss you can see some of that play out in your blood chemistry. If your doctor's not willing to kind of go all in with a heavy metal test, you can kind of piece things together based on your blood chemistry with heavy metals. So that would kind of be my first recommendation. And then as for supplements and things to do about hair loss, here are a couple of things that I found can be helpful. And then we'll talk about kind of the patterns and kind of how to play around with things here. So adaptogenic herbs. Now, I like ashwagandha because it doesn't matter whether you're high or low in adrenals. It's good for both. Licorice roots are always great. Apple cider vinegar, pumpkin seeds, essential fatty acids, B-complex, iron, freshly ground flaxseed, which will increase your sex hormone binding globulin. You kind of need to know what your hormones are before you start playing around with some of this stuff. But for ground flaxseed, it's good for high or low. So like go for it. And then exercise, move your body, move your body. Okay, let's talk about the patterns of hair loss. So you have total body hair loss. That's a different thing. That's usually chat with your doctor about all this. These are just, I'm sharing these as patterns of representation here, but chat with your doctor, please. Total body hair loss would be things like blood sugar, regulation issues, circulation issues, DHEA issues, balding all over, poor circulation, B vitamin, silicone, or zinc deficiencies, essential fatty acid deficiencies. This could include gallbladder deficiency where you're not soaking up your fats. Thinning is a hormonal imbalance, usually thyroid related, 
you can usually tell by people's eyebrows if half of them is missing. That's a good indication, specifically because you talked about, Sam, that you experienced hair loss while you were on keto. And then when you were off of keto, it came back. That would tell me that it's definitely awesome to test your thyroid and kind of discover all that. At the top of your head, it's usually uh, progesterone, cortisol, estrogen being out of balance, testosterone. Estrogen has a really bad reputation. It's horrible. Through so much testing and patience, I am now on estrogen directly. I just couldn't increase it with anything that I tried to do. And golly gee, has my anxiety reduced over the last couple of weeks. Like what a blessing. So cool. The last one is patchy, like patchy hair loss. That's usually adrenal related, a deficiency in B vitamins, heavy metal exposure and zinc deficiencies. So there you have I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. Okay, next question. Rosemary, I just wanted to say how much I love your books. I have all three. They are super organized and colorful. You speak my language. Thanks, Rosemary. I have been using your keto recipes for two months now, and my blood test results have never gotten any higher than 0.9 in readings for my ketones. Most of the time, I'm 0.0 ketones. I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. I was wondering if you had any feedback to help me get into ketosis. I've been using exogenous ketones as well, and I'm just not measuring any ketones. Rosemary, I'm sorry. This must be so frustrating. The first place I go when people are not generating ketones is the liver. That's the first place that I would recommend going. I would recommend you read up on the liver, how to support the liver, check with your doctor about testing the liver. This episode is all about testing too. This is fun. ALT, AST, GGT, those are the tests that you want to run and support that little liver of yours because that's where fat burning takes place. And if your liver is not working as good as it should and it's just lagging behind, you're not able to burn fat very well. So that's where I would look at first. And good luck. Tracy, I've been doing keto since February and the scale just won't budge. I'm only eating whole foods with an occasional approved bar when I'm in a pinch. I have not tracked carbs, but I am eating next to none except greens and veggies. I'm 54 years old. I'm taking hormones, which I started around the same time I started keto. I'm having many of the benefits of keto, just not losing. I am wanting to use an app to monitor my eating. Do you recommend one of the apps? I would like to lose 40 pounds. Okay, Tracy, for an app, I really like carbs. Carb Manager. I'm like digging it lately. So that's the app that I recommend. And then for weight loss, you're on hormones. Now you say you're taking hormones. I would check with your doctor, make sure they're bioidentical hormones. It might be helpful to run a Dutch test. I always recommend that when if you are, you've experienced menopause, you are in menopause, like you've done the menopause thing, you're on the other side of it. A Dutch test can be really helpful for you. In the perimenopause stage, it's hard. We got to make sure that you ovulated and then we test the Dutch, but it can be really helpful for figuring out. Unfortunately, when it comes to women that have quote unquote low estrogen, you know, you run your basic blood chemistry lab and the estrogen comes back low and the doctors put you on estrogen, but they're not testing for estrogen dominance. 
We talked about estrogen and dominance, a really good episode, episode 302. I recommend if you're interested in this, that you listen to that one. And they're putting these people on estrogen and uh, usually not bioidentical estrogen. So I highly recommend if you're having issues with weight and you're on hormones that you have a Dutch panel run so you can fully understand the big picture of all the three estrogens, E1, E2, E3. They're only testing for E2 in your blood labs, generally speaking. It's important to know the whole thing, how you're detoxifying. Testrogen can be converted into estrogen, E2 estrogen, estradiol by a process called aromatase. And so if you're supplementing with DHEA, it can convert into testosterone, which can convert into estrogen and you have a lot of issues. And then you have all your metabolites and your metabolites, like generally speaking, your metabolites are all kind of influenced by your gut health. So really understanding what's going on with your gut. This is why we go back to the very beginning of this episode where I was talking about the three essential tests and that is your GI map, your Dutch and your blood chemistry. Like those three help us give the biggest picture. Now, is it expensive? Yeah. You're looking at like $700 in testing. If you're paying for it all at once, it's a lot. I've had so many friends say like, Oh, I just can't afford that. And then they go out and buy the newest iPhone or they grab a new purse or whatever. They go for a vacation or whatever. You need to decide how important this stuff is to you. And if you're incredibly frustrated and no one's helping, then it's time to decide what's best for you. Sometimes you just got to do what you don't want to do in order to get the answers that you need in order to move forward. So those would kind of be my recommendations for you, Tracy. If none of that is an option, just look at your gut health, get on a really good probiotic and make sure you're having bone broth. And if you can supplement with some L-glutamine, generally that's helpful and just take it step by step and see if by supporting the gut, it's helpful for you. Okay. Last question. Oh, this has been so fun. It's from Paula. Hi, Leanne. I love your show. We are a new keto family and would love to still try and bake or make things and treats every so often. However, really hating the almond and coconut flours. Anything else you would recommend to try? I saw some other options online like keto wheat flour or other seeds. What do you think? Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) I couldn't live without almond and coconut flour. I don't know why you would hate almond and coconut flour. Maybe you haven't gotten the right almond and coconut flour. I'm going to link up to my favorite things. It's helpfulpursuit.com slash favorites. And I've included like everything that I love on there, including my favorite almond and coconut flour. Yeah. I mean, you could try cricket flour. (laughs) You could try sunflower seed, pumpkin seed, but those are kind of garbage. Like they're not my favorite. Coconut flour to me, if you have a very beautiful, fine ground, like JK gourmet type of almond flour, that's perfect. I really don't notice a difference. It could also be the recipes that you're using. I really like coconuts and kettlebells dessert recipes using these sorts of ingredients. You cannot even tell that they're almond flour or coconut flour. Now there are carbohydrates. She loves the carbs. Uh, It is paleo, but it is not low carb. So you can replace with your favorite sweeteners and those sorts of things. But yeah, I don't really have a favorite. And I also personally don't recommend that people eat low carb gluten based wheat flour stuff personally. But if you find one that you really like, awesome. I'm celiac, so I can't even play with those. And I'm not going to recommend one that I haven't tried. So yeah, I guess I'm like no help in that area because all the other ones that I've tried, I haven't liked. So good luck. And I'll include a link to my favorite things if you want to check that out. 
Okay. Oh my goodness. We made it. I did not think this episode was going to be this long. I ended up turning on my air conditioning. I hope that you don't hear the fan running. I was just so hot. I felt like I was going to (laughs) die. So next up on the podcast, we have episode 332, where I'm talking with Jennifer Fugo about chronic skin issues. Oh, this one is so good. And then episode 333, Dominic D'Agostino is finally coming on the show. You know, I was so nervous to interview him. Like these big name people, I'm like, I have nothing to share. This is going to be so hard. They're going to think I'm so silly and dumb. That's just like a personal thing like that I'm working through. But Dom was just so incredibly friendly and wonderful and patient and soft-spoken. It was just incredible. So we're talking about the essential tools behind a successful keto diet. So that's a really good one. Thanks so much for hanging out with me, everyone. I hope you had fun. I hope that your questions were answered. I like went well into what you had asked me. So I hope you actually found benefit in that. And I will see you next week for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.